Ladies and gentlemen, recording in progress. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a Daily Power Parsha Pichi Parsha Mondays. This week's Torah portion is Vayigash. Vayigash. This is big. Super, super dramatic. Oh, thank you, Sindrine. Um, do you mind getting me one also? Sure. Appreciate it. Oh, look at that. I forgot a chumash. Who would have thought you need a chumash for a, for a Parsha class? Who would have thought? All right. So I'm going to pull it up online. What does that mean? Chumash? No, Vayigash. And he approached. And he approached. Thank you very much. And who's the one who approached, you may ask? Um, it is Judah. This is going to be a continuation of the end of last week's Torah portion. Of course, it's one continuum. You should know, you should know that the Joseph story is the longest unbroken story in, uh, in Torah. When I say unbroken, I mean, it's, you know, it spans many, many chapters. It's an involved tale. I mean, I guess you could say, well, the story of the Jewish people, the Exodus, the 40 years of wandering is the longest unbroken story, and that's true. But I mean, like, focusing on one narrative. You know, one narrative that takes up so much time and space, it's really, it's really powerful. And it's got a lot to teach us. So we're at the, kind of at the, you know, the end of the Joseph drama. And as we discussed last week, last time we met our hero, Joseph had still been pretending that he did not know his brothers who came down to buy food. Innocently enough, they came down to buy food. Joseph has, had been uh, pretending that he believed that they were spies. He accused them of being spies. He asked them to bring back their brother, Benjamin. They said, we can't. Or sorry, they, they, they went back to their father. The father said, you can't. Judah um, negotiated and promised and guaranteed uh, jo- um, Benjamin's safety. So Jacob, the father, sends down, sends down Benjamin with him. And of course, upon the return back to Egypt, mishap happens. What's the mishap? <laughs> Joseph after welcoming all the brothers, his 11 brothers, family reunion, without them knowing it, welcoming them into his home, he gives them food, he gives them you know, lots, of, lots of honor, and, and, and they share a meal together. He gives them lots of stuff to take home, he gives Benjamin even more, and then he tells his assistant, put my royal silver goblet, sneak it into the bag, into the luggage of Benjamin, and then he sends said assistant to chase after them, and accuse them of theft, and they say, God forbid, who, <laughs> God forbid that one of us should do something as, uh, as heinous as this, as stealing the royal goblet from the viceroy of Egypt. We would never dream of doing such a thing. I'll share with you an insight I didn't share last week. Their phrase, <laughs> which means God forbid, what does it sound like? Which Hebrew word? Chalila. <laughs> Chala, but different ches instead of chaf or ches. Okay, what else? Chalila. You know what we say? Hamavdil bein kodesh in the in the havdala le chol. The one who separates between kodesh holy, holy, and chol. Chol is mundane, right? So chol is mundane. Chalila lecha or chalila lach is. I should probably get the exact. Phrase correct. Give me a moment. Chalila is related to the word chol, which means it would be very mundane for us to do such a thing. We would never dream of chalila oh, lavadech. Oh, I totally got it wrong. 
I totally botched it. God forbid that your servants would have done such a thing. Chalila is also related to Rechol, which is the idea that it's mundane. We, we wouldn't steal a royal cup. What do you think? We're, we're looking for silver? That's what we're in it. We're in it to, to steal for material possessions? That's not what we're after. Well, to, it's, uh, it's in the Chumash on page 294. 294, one, two, three, four, five lines from the bottom, third to last word. All of this, by the way, is still last week's Torah portion. I'm just kind of, you know, getting a running start into this dramatic opening. So Benjamin has the goblet. So the, the goblet is, is, is planted in Benjamin's bag, in his luggage. The guy chases after them and says, you guys stole a cup. Like, God forbid, we would never do something so mundane. And they said, whoever, if, if, you, if one of us did steal it, you can kill him. You can, that's how confident they were. You can kill him, take him out. It's not one of us. They go back to, and they, they start opening up all the bags from the oldest to the youngest. They get to Benjamin's, boom, it's there. And now they walk with their heads downcast, complete bewilderment. They, go, they head back to Egypt to face the music, a.k.a. Joseph. And Joseph says, that was not a good thing. That was not a cool thing that you guys did. And they said, they threw themselves at Joseph's feet, and they said to Joseph, you can take all of us as slaves, you can punish all of us collectively, we're all in it together. And Joseph ends off last week's Torah portion with a line of all lines. And his line is, oh, he says Khalilali. He also throws back a Khalila at them. You see that? Look at the last verse of, if you have a Chumash, the last verse of, the, of Miketz. Vayomer, and he said, Khalilali. God forbid for me, or, or, or you know, it would never happen that I may ask us those to do this. In other words, I would never collectively punish. I would never um, implement collective punishment and, and, and keep you all as slaves. No, only the, only the person who had the silver goblet in his bag, he will remain as a slave, and the rest of you can go back home to your father. That's how the last week's Torah portion ended off. Chalila, you so, so, so people say you ever hear, hear the phrase chas v'shalom? Chas v'shalom is like God forbid. But some people say chas v'chalila. Chas means you know for fat. Um, chas, I don't know how to translate these words. Chalila means you know for, something like that. Far be it. Here's translate as far be it from me to do this. Chalila, chalila, far be it. It means it's not. All right, something like that. So, so that's how the last, week, last week's Torah portion ended. With the brothers in a massive quagmire. What's the quagmire? Quagmire, I don't know if that's the right phrase. But they're in a massive predicament. More than a predicament. It's like a very, very bad predicament. Because the brother, Benjamin, the only one who their dad was really concerned about getting back home, Benjamin now has been busted with the cup in his bag and the viceroy of Egypt is saying, no worries, you guys are fine. I'll just incarcerate him. And that's the one guy that they need to bring home. And so at this point, Vayigash. Vayigash. And he approached. Who's he? Judah. Who's Judah? The fourth son of Jacob. Why Judah? Judah is the one who, who guaranteed Benjamin would, 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 would come back home. So now when Benjamin stands to be kept in Egypt as a slave for all time, Judah steps up into the face of the viceroy and says, 
We're not leaving without him. Let's read this inside. The dramatic, the dramatic encounter between Judah and Joseph. Here we go. Vayigash, first reading, Genesis chapter 44, verse number Chai. Then Judah approached him. Who's him? Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm going to read from the Chumash here and justify it also with the online. Then Yehuda approached Yosef. And he said to him the following, Please, my master or my lord, your servant now wants to say something that I hope my master will listen to. I'm going to be firm, says Rashi. He's going to speak firmly. So please don't get angry at your servant, for you, have, for you are as important in my eyes as Pharaoh himself. Now, I read from the Chumash, from the Gunnik edition, which has a bit of a commentary of Rashi blended into the, uh, to the script. So you'll, you, you'll, I'm sure you caught some commentary here. But he basically approaches in two ways. You know how sometimes when you negotiate or whatever, you, there's a good cop and bad cop? You know what I'm talking about? Like good cop and bad cop? Judah is going to be good cop and bad cop. He says, look, he says, please, my Lord, um, I want to say something that I hope you listen to. So he entreats him. He, he first requests permission to speak. And then he says, please don't get angry at me because I'm about to turn up the volume on this conversation, where it's about to get serious, we're about to have a real conversation here. So it's, it's, it's about to get, it's about to get real. And then he, but, but then he, 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 he sandwiches it by saying, you're like Pharaoh to me. You're, you're as, uh, I, I'm not speaking to you in, in a way that, that indicates I don't have respect for you. On the contrary, I'm telling you at the get-go, I have a lot of respect for you. Let's continue. But Rashi has more about that. Yeah, jump in. Yeah. Rashi says, for you are like Pharaoh. Uh, that's a simple meaning, but it's exegetical. Uh, yeah, the Medrash. Yeah, interpretation is as follows. Your end will be to be stricken over Benjamin with Saris, as mm. Pharaoh was stricken. Huh. Uh, through Benjamin's great-grandmother, Sarah, for the one night that he detained her. There you go. Rashi says from the Medrash, listen to this. Thank you, Mark, for sharing. Rashi points out that Joseph was also alluding to something. Sorry, Judah, Yehuda, was also alluding to something else. He says, Joseph, oh, he didn't know it was Joseph. Mr. Viceroy, you're like Pharaoh to me. And the, and the implication was, remember when, you're, when Pharaoh or one of the earlier Pharaohs abducted Sarah and was stricken by leprosy until he released her? Yeah, if you even think of keeping Benjamin, that's going to be your fate. Now, I don't know if he said it. Or if by saying you are like Pharaoh, he alluded to it. But either way, that was part of his intention here. Again, he's doing good cop and bad cop. He's respecting, but he's also being very strong and forceful and with, with a lot of conviction to get back his brother. Okay, let's continue verse 19. Well, actually, and Rashi actually said before that, he said that Judah spoke to Joseph harshly. Yeah, kashot. Yeah, he spoke with him harshly. So, exactly, yeah. But he still says please. He says, be Adoni, please, my master, please, my Lord. He says, please, but he's, that's what I'm saying. He's, 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 working both, he's working both angles. Okay, verse 19. From the very first instance, my master, my Lord, 
interrogated or asked his servants accusingly saying, have you a father or brother? In other words, you were the one, Mr. Viceroy, who asked us about our family. Verse 20. Nevertheless, despite all of the grilling and the interrogation, we held nothing back from you. We were not being secretive. Verse 20. We said to my master, we said to, 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 to my Lord, we have an elderly father who has a young child, a baby born to him in old age. His brother is dead, and his brother from his mother, Rachel, is dead. It's Joseph. They thought he was dead, or at this point they inferred he was dead. So he is left alone as the only child of his mother, and his father loves him. So basically, Judah, in speaking with Joseph, is setting the scene, kind of like resetting how we got here. It's a little bit of a, a game, a, an in-game recap, right? We came down, and you asked us about our family, and we were very transparent. We didn't hold anything back. Our father is elderly, living in the old, living in Canaan. We have a, a, a brother. Sorry, we have. He has a son, his youngest son, who he loves, whose brother is dead, is gone, and uh, and that's it. And then verse twenty-one. This is Judah still speaking. And you said to your servants, you told us, bring him, Benjamin, down to me so I can see him for myself, so I can lay eyes on him for myself. So we told you about the family. You asked for Benjamin. Let's continue verse 22. So then we said to my master, we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. We told you that we can't take Benjamin. For if he leaves his father, we are concerned that he will die en route. As his mother died, as Rashi says, his mother died while traveling. We are concerned that he simply will not make it in this journey. We did not want to go back and fetch Benjamin, Benjamin, and bring him back. We were concerned. Verse 23. So you said to your servants, if your youngest brother doesn't come down with you, you'll never see my face again. So you were the one that played hardball with us. We told you about our father and about our younger, our, our baby brother. You were the one that said, you, he's got to come down or else don't bother coming back to see me anymore for food. So you put us in an impossible position. Let's continue verse 24. And then it came to pass when we, came, when we went up to your servant, my father, and we told him the words of my master, okay, verse 25, that our father said, Go back and buy us a bit of food. So we told dad, our father, what you said. But our father said, you need to go buy food. And then we said, verse 26, I mean, we all know the story, which we're hearing the dialogue here uh, as, Jake, uh, as Judah presents it to Joseph. So then we said back to our father, we can't go down like we did before. We, just, we can't just go down to Egypt anymore to buy food. We can only go down if our youngest brother is with us because the man... He told us he won't let us see him if our youngest brother isn't with us. There's no, we, we can't get a meeting with the guy. We can't buy any food without Benjamin. That's what we told our father. Verse 27. So your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife, my wife, my wife, Rachel, he calls her my wife, right? You know that my wife, Rachel, bore me two children, two sons. One of them has departed from me. 
One of them has, has went away from me. And I said he must have been ripped apart again and again. He's surely been torn to pieces. And I haven't seen him since. Right? They came back with his uh, bloody coat of many colors. And he said, Tarov, Taraf, Yosef. He must have been ripped apart. And I haven't seen him. This is what their father told. This is what J Judah is telling Joseph. Their father said to them when they asked him for Benjamin to buy food. I lost Joseph. If you, verse 29, now if you take this one, Benjamin, away from me too, and a fatal accident occurs to him, you'll bring my old age to the grave in grief, or as it's translated here, if you take this one too away from him, misfortune befalls him, you will bring down my hoary head in misery to the grave. You're going to kill me. This will be my end if something bad happens to Benjamin. So now Judah culminates his plea to Joseph. Verse 30. Now that he's speaking directly to the viceroy. So, and now, if I were, when I would come back to your servant, my father, and the boy isn't with us, being that his soul is attached to the boy's soul, then dot, dot, dot. He's not going to make it. And, and, and the, the, the rest of that sentence, very interestingly, is how reading number two begins, which I want to segue over to right away. But it's interesting that reading one, the first reading, ends like in the middle of a sentence where Judah tells Joseph, now that you know the story, we had no intention of bringing Benjamin ever down, down, down to Egypt. We left him at home with his, with his dad. His dad loves him a lot. You asked us about our family. We were transparent. We told you about our father and about our brother. Then you demanded our brother. We went up to our father. Our father said, no way. We pleaded and begged. And, your father, and our father said, no, I'm afraid of losing him. And we promised, promised, promised that he would be okay. And now if we go back up home, and you're saying, go back home, I'll keep Benjamin. You're keeping the one kid that's going to kill my father if, if, if he doesn't come home. Let's continue second reading. If we go home without Benjamin, Genesis chapter 44, verse 31. So then it will come to pass when he sees, yeah? That he sees the, when he sees the boy is gone, that he's going to die. Or in this translation, the Chumash, he'll simply die from grief when, he see, when he'll see that the boy is gone. Then, and then your servants will have brought the old age or the hoary head of your servant, our father, to the grave in grief. We will have essentially taken our father to the grave if we go back home without Benjamin. There's no way. There's no way we can do this. And that now in verse 32, Judah explains why he is the one that is speaking as representative of all his brothers. Why is he the one who's speaking up? Verse 32. He explains. Now I am speaking here in particular as Rashi says, because I, your servant, assumed responsibility for the boy when we took him from my father, saying, if I don't bring him back to you, I will have sinned against my father forever. I am the one who took responsibility, which is why I am the one that, I'm sp that, 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 that is speaking with you in a very serious fashion. This is Judah's pitch. It's not his pitch. It's his plea. It's not his plea. It's his demand from 
Joseph, verse 33, let's continue. So now please let your servant stay. Listen, so, so he's, he, he offers. He, offer, he, he offers a, a trade. So Benjamin was actually Joseph's brother. Benjamin and Joseph were full brothers. Right. Same father and same mother from Rachel. Right. Exactly. Why are you surprised? Not surprised, but why is it strange that he's my wife, Rachel? Because he had two wives. He doesn't specify which, which wife. He says, my wife, oh. I had two sons from my wife. My, okay, he doesn't say Rachel. Leah, his other wife, had f six sons. Mm -hmm. He says, but my wife had two sons. My wife, meaning mm -hmm. the one who I always wanted to marry from the beginning, Rachel, who you originally fell in love with. So, uh, clearly, this son, Benjamin, Joseph and Benjamin, were very dear to him. He already lost Joseph. He didn't want to lose Benjamin. And Jacob, keep on misspeaking. Judah, Yehuda, is speaking to Yosef, to Joseph, and he says to him, this is what's going on. I, I'm not going home without him. Can't happen. So here's what we're going to do. This is the offer. He doesn't say just let him go free, let him off the hook. He offers to switch places with him. Take a look. Verse 33. All right. Yeah. What is Mizrahi, These are all commentaries. Mizrahi and Sifsi Chachamim are commentaries on Rashi. Because what it says here, it says in speaking of his concern for Benjamin, we would expect Jacob to refer to Rachel as his, in other words, Jacob's, Benjamin's mother. But Jacob did not. Rather, he said, you know that my wife bore me two sons. Mm. His referring to Rachel as my wife shows that he was expressing grief over Rachel's death as well as, as, well as Benjamin. Interesting. So Mark is adding, Rashi is pointing out from the commentaries of the commentaries on Rashi, that when he referred to Rachel, my wife bore me two children, he's not just mourning the loss of Joseph, but he's also mourning the loss of Rachel because Rachel had passed away. Rachel, his beloved Rachel, had passed away while giving birth to Benjamin. Yeah, so he's above, lost. Right, right. And above that, he just says, it says, Benjamin uh, salved the wounds of, of, of uh, Jacob. Of his loss of, yeah, of his wife. Of his wife. Right, so I, Joseph, yeah. right, so understand, thank you. So understand Jacob's, well, understand where Jacob's at. Jacob, when he was a single guy, he meets Rachel at the well. He falls in love with her. He wants to marry her. Great. He eventually gets tricked into marrying Leah. Then he has Eventually, he has a kid with Rachel, Joseph, and another kid, Benjamin. And ben when Benjamin's born in childbirth, as we read a few weeks ago, Rachel dies. So he lost his beloved wife, Rachel. But at least he had two, at least he had two sons. And not at least. I mean, I don't, it's, it's a horrible way of saying it. But he had two, her two sons, but he lost her. Okay, then he loses Joseph. And now he's gonna lose and now he's gonna lose Benjamin. The whole family's gonna get wiped out. That whole part of the family is wiped out at this point. It's that can't be. Can't allow it to happen, says Judah to Joseph. Verse 33. So now he says, please let your servant, in other words, me, Judah, stay as a slave to my master instead of the boy, and let the boy go back with his brothers. Let me switch places with him. He stole your cup. He's guilty of the crime. You want to incarcerate him? I understand that completely. I got to get this kid back up to his father. I will take his place. You want someone to serve, the, to serve time? You want to punish someone? Punish me. Let him go. That's what Judah says to Joseph. Verse 34. For how could I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I can't bear to see the misery that my father would suffer or that will befall my father. I, 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 
cannot go home, I cannot see, look into my father's face without Benjamin. So send Benjamin and I will stay here. You should know, according to the Medrash, this was not the only point of dialogue. There was a contest of strength between Judah and Joseph, and there were some threats, physical threats involved as well, where Judah basically said, if you don't let, if you, and if you, I'm, I'm giving you a reasonable offer to switch out to switch my place with, with my brother Benjamin. If you don't take that, then, then we're not leaving here without, uh, without a rumble. It's not, it, we're, we're, gonna go down, we're gonna go down fighting. We're not, we're not just, we're not just you know, saying bye-bye to Benjamin and, and heading back home to, uh, to Canaan. It's not gonna happen. We're not leaving without him, one way or the other. There's an interesting point brought up here, too. Yeah. This is, what is Tanhuma got? Tanhuma is a medrash. Okay. Yeah. It says, um, he says, Rosh explains that it is the answer to an unspoken question. Why is it that Judah and not any of the other brothers right. argues for Benjamin's release? Right. Because that's what's Rosh yeah. He took responsibility. That's why he's the one advocating for him. Rosh interprets, right. I will have sent to my father for all time, as referring to banishment from the world to come, even from the world to come. Yeah, so he was, he was feeling that he would be in trouble, not only in this lifetime, but also for eternity. Yeah, it says yeah. in line with this interpretation to this statement to Jacob, uh, I will have sent to you for all time. Yeah. Okay, good. So now we're up to chapter 45. Judah has stood up to Joseph and said, you got to let the kid go. Got to send him back with me. Now it's time for Joseph, for Yosef, to reply. Genesis chapter 45, verse 1. Yosef, Joseph could not bear the thought that all the Egyptians standing beside him would see his brother's shame when he revealed himself to him. That's what Rashi says. In the translation online, it says, Joseph could not bear all those standing beside him. In other words, he couldn't bear the thought that the entire royal entourage around Joseph would see his brother's shame as he reveals his identity to them. So he said, so he called out to all of the Egyptians in the room, take everyone away from me. In other words, everyone out. Everybody out. So the Torah says, no one stood with Yosef, Joseph, when he revealed his identity to his brothers. When Yosef finally is going to reveal his identity, it's just him and his 11 brothers. Verse 2. He wept out loud and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians who had been sent out heard. The entire household affair. Soon the whole affair's household heard about it. So he cried so loudly to Joseph, to Joseph, that everyone outside the, the chamber heard it, and soon it was the talk of the entire palace or household. Everyone was talking about it. And, and what, what were they talking about? His crying and what he was about to say. Verse number three. The big reveal. Yosef said to his brothers, Ani Yosef Ha'od Avichai. I am Yosef. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were unable to answer him because they were ashamed before him. Or in, here in this online translation, because they were startled by his presence. 
startled by his presence. Uh, I, I, like, I like the Chumash version. They were ashamed before him. I mean, what do you say? First of all, the whole st- it's got to be very, a very confusing moment. Because at this point, they had written off Joseph as being dead. It was 20 years. Since they had seen their brother, there's no expectation that he's still alive. They've been dealing with this viceroy now for months who's given them the runaround and a hard time. And, and, and he says, oh, by the way, guys, I am Yosef. It's just mind-boggling. It's just absolutely, it's absolutely mind-boggling. Um, and Rashi is the one who says, they were, they, they were startled. They couldn't say anything because they were so ashamed. Let's continue. Verse number four. So the, he, he, he revealed himself. They didn't say anything. So then Joseph said to his brothers the following. Or and as Rashi says, when, when he saw they were ashamed, Yosef said to his brothers, please come closer to me. He said, please come, come closer to me. They drew closer. And as Rashi says, he showed them that he was circumcised. <laughs> All right, so he's basically trying to corroborate, trying to prove that he was indeed Yosef. Um, yeah. He showed them, according to Barashas Rav, according to the, to the Medrash, he showed them that he was circumcised so that they would realize that this was indeed their brother, their own flesh and blood, their long-lost brother Yosef. And he said to them, he said to them, I am your brother Yosef, whom you sold to Egypt. Verse 5. Immediately, he spins the entire narrative. But now he says, don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves that you sold me to this place. For now we see that God sent me ahead of you to save your lives. Basically, the ultimate, the ultimate uh, framing. He says in a healthy way, healthy framing for himself. Do not be sad. Do not let it trouble you. Do not be, you know, do not be broken apart by the fact that you sold me as a slave. Don't beat yourselves up. It's not about you. God sent me to, God sent me ahead to, um, to save your lives. What does that mean? What does that mean literally? Verse number six. For it's two years now that there's been a famine in the land. This was the second year of famine already. So it's already two years into the famine and there won't be any plowing or harvesting for another five years. For there are already two years of famine that passed in the midst of the land and for another five years of Yeah, okay. So basically we have another five years of this famine with no plowing and no harvesting. You have no food, you're going to run out of food. Whatever you have or think you have, it's not going to last. But I got plenty of food. So I'm here to save your lives. It's the ultimate flip. They tried to kill him. They sold him as a slave. They thought he was dead for all this time. And the ultimate plot twist is, he's going to save their lives. Let's continue verse 7. God sent me ahead of you to ensure your survival in the land and to sustain your families and flocks for the great salvation that they will need due to their substantial size. In other words, God sent me to provide for you and your families because you got big families and a lot of cattle and all that good stuff. And so you're now in good hands. Okay, so this, this was a big reading or two. Reading number one is essentially Judah's plea to Joseph, standing up to Joseph, 
demanding Benjamin back, offering himself as a slave, but either way standing up to Joseph. And reading number two is the big reveal where Joseph reveals his identity. It says, it's been me all along. Don't be upset. Don't, be, don't beat yourselves up. I'm not upset at you. God sent me here for a higher purpose to provide for you. And this is the deeper reading. Okay, let me check in with our online crew. Questions or comments on the reading or thoughts analysis? Jump in. <coughs> Questions, comments, thoughts, analysis. Can you remind what old was Yosef? How old was Yosef? Yeah, Yosef was 17 years old when they kidnapped him and sold him as a slave. He spent 20 years between his slavery and his imprisonment. He was 20 years in prison. He stood in front of Pharaoh when he was 37 years old. So he would have been, this is two years later, because it was two years into the, no, 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 hold on. Time out. He was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh. 30. He was 17 when they sold him. 13 years later, he was 30. He stood before Pharaoh. He, um, he was appointed viceroy. He served as viceroy for seven years of the plenty and now two years of famine. So 30, 39. He was 39 years old. His brothers were in their 40s and 50s. They were older than him. Except for Benjamin. He was the, the only one that was younger than him. Everyone else was older. So these guys are in their 40s and 50s. Maybe even 60s. I don't know. Maybe not. Who? They couldn't, re it says they could not recognize him. Between 17, they saw him at 30, they saw him at 37. They saw him at the beginning of the famine, they originally came down. It, was, it took a few years. This whole story played out over, over the span of, of, this is already the second year into the famine. So it's a year or two that this whole drama played out. Between 12 and 24 months. Us rabbi, they never in their mind could have, it never would have sucked, that he's, you know, the vice, you know, working with Pharaoh. I want to tell you this. Thank you for sharing that. Because think about this. When you see somebody out of context, right. you know what I'm talking about? You see somebody that you've had interactions with, mm -hmm. but you see them in a different setting, and you're, you're sometimes not sure it's if that's them. It's a cognitive It's a cognitive dissonance. Yes. It's a, it's just, it's just, it's, it's unfamiliar. The brain doesn't know what to do with this, with this information. Like, I, just to share an anecdote, completely anecdotal. This past Shabbat, there was a bar mitzvah here, a Chabad in town. Happened to see a woman who works in an office where my kid gets, has braces in the orthodont, on North Island, there's a, or a pediatric orthodontist that my kid goes to and I, I'm, I, after the services, I see her, and I'm like, is, so I'm like, is that you? No white coat. It's just out of context. And that's someone, not, and there's no age gap. And I actually was in the office there this past week on Tuesday. And I saw her on, on Saturday, so talking about five days later, four or five days later. And it's still, you know, I'm, I'm still unsure. So this was, they had, between 17 and 37, is a pretty decent gap in time. Sandrine, so to address where you're at, so between 17 and 37, it says he didn't have a beard at 17. And he was, you know, he was doing his hair and his eyes and whatever he was doing. At 37, he was, uh, you know, and he probably looked like an Egyptian. I want to say looked like an Egyptian. He probably walked like an Egyptian. Walked like an Egyptian. So he was. He spent time in jail. Spent time in jail. 
I mean, look, we know Joseph, we know him as a positive guy, positive spirit, you know, emotional guy. I want to speak about crying also in a moment, about his emotions. Um, but he definitely looked different. And as Donna said before, they definitely would have never expected that that was him, even if it looked like him. They would have probably thought, oh, interesting that there's a doppelganger in Egypt that looks like our brother. They would have never thought that that was him. It's, it's so impossible that even if it was, it's like Clark Kent and Superman. Clark Kent from the, from the paper, from the, from the news, he's Superman. Nah. All he does is take up, put on, take off, put on his glasses. Suddenly a different guy with a cape. And how old? That's a real, I, I, you know, I don't know how younger Benjamin was. Somebody, you know. He if, had a lot of kids. He had to be older at this point. Well, he moved fast. One thing about Benjamin, did not waste time. Um, I don't mind, you know, somebody wants to Google it in the meantime. Somebody Google, like. Um, when did Rachel die? That, so I don't know. I'm not sure how old, and that's the question, right? When did Rachel die? When was Benjamin born vis-a-vis -vis Joseph? Was it five years, seven years, four years, three years? I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much younger he was. Um, I want to say that he was probably like a seven-year gap, maybe. But it's, just, it's like what I have in my brain, as a memory, but I haven't looked it up in a long Benjamin time. living when he was kidnapped? Yeah, but Benjamin, Benjamin was alive when he was kidnapped, but he wasn't in the field. He was at home. He was, a, he was a little kid. His older brothers were working in the field, and Joseph checked on them. Boom, that's what happened. We don't know. I don't know. Um, anybody finding any Rabbi Google uh, info? You got some intel? All right. Yeah. That would have made Benjamin 32, 35 years old when he went to Egypt. How much? 32, 35? 32 to 35. So basically, he's between seven and four, four to seven year gap between the two. Okay, but it's, who's writing that? Is that Chabad or somebody? Four to, four to seven years. I, I'm sure someone. I'm sure it's written somewhere, but that's the gap that I, I, I think I remember seven, but it's somewhere either seven, six, five, or four years gap. Yeah, Donna. Um, you mentioned Rabbi Google. I just have to say one thing. I don't know if it's anti-Semitism, but I shared with you that I was a blogger. Uh, uh, not a blogger, yeah. really investigative report. I, I interviewed Eric Schmidt, the chairman, yeah, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So what's fascinating is, you know, they have sometimes themes on their homepage. Yes, box. yes. So they have like a Christmas theme last week, nothing for Hanukkah. Oh. Today they have pizza. And I've been following it for 20 years. They have never, ever, ever had anything Jewish. Not Hanukkah, not wow. commemorating the Jewish person. And, wow. and, you know, the founders, the young men, they, they were Russian Jews. Two Jews, and yeah. And they have never once. I mean, they have all sorts of obscure things that they celebrate. They do. You're, you're 100% hundred percent right because I, I always get a kick out of seeing, like, what obscure thing are you going to click on right. and find from the, from the Google, from the, from the logo. Mm -hmm. um, very, very interesting. I think we need to make a bit of a campaign. That would be big. Yes. Maybe yes. we should do for the Rebbe for his, uh, for his birthday, yes. Education Day yes. USA. It's Anyway yes. Education Day USA. Maybe we get uh, the Reb on, on Google. All right. You, you've ne this is a good idea. Donna, let's follow up on this. I, okay. I, I, I like how you're thinking. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to get back to this idea. So, so let's close out the story, and then I want to get back to, to crying and emotions. Um, so to close out the story, the brothers could have never imagined that their long-lost brother, Yosef, who they thought for dead, yeah, 
that, that he would have been become the viceroy, that he was the viceroy, that he was giving them a hard time. So when Joseph says, Ani Yosef, I, I am Yosef, is <laughs> that's the life, they can't even begin to process that information. And then he draws them, he says, come closer, and he validates it, as we mentioned, but then he says, you have nothing to be worried about, nothing to, to beat yourselves up about. I, 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 I don't look at it as if you sold me here, God has sent me here. And with this, he takes away, almost takes away their power of victimization and, and gives it to God, not the victimization, but gives the power to Hashem and to himself, essentially. He's not, you see, if somebody remains a victim, they're still giving power to the, to the oppressor, to the victimizer. As long as someone sees themselves as a victim, they're giving the other person or other entity power. Joseph did not give them that power, did not give them that, 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 that ability, that strength. He says, you did not sell me here. You didn't sell me as a, you sold me as a slave, fine, but you didn't, you didn't send me here, God sent me here for a higher purpose. This takes away the power from the brothers. It takes away the evil, if you will, of the brothers. Now, it doesn't mean that there shouldn't be any consequences or whatever it is. That's, that's up to you know, another uh, system of law or whatever it is. That's another conversation. But vis-a-vis -vis Joseph, for his own personal sanity, mental health, emotional health, physical well-being, well, uh, spiritual well-being, he chose to frame his experience as being one on a divine mission from God. I spoke about this already the last few weeks. Joseph demonstrates the incredible strength, inner strength, to be able to overcome challenge by not viewing oneself as a victim, by not viewing oneself as weak or as subjugated or as underneath anything else, but rather as empowered. It's an incredible perspective, incredibly powerful. I want to mention something else. Now I'm going to talk about crying. We find more than any other biblical character that Joseph cries again and again and again. No other biblical character, no other character in Torah is, is referenced as crying like Joseph does. Who cries in Torah? Moses cries? I don't remember Moses crying. Abraham cries? I don't remember. Isaac is crying? No. Imagine his father said, hey, we're going, uh, I'm going to bind you up in this altar. Does he cry? We don't find crying. We don't find tears. Maybe once or twice. I can't even think of a time if anybody has a, has a, has a uh, thought of who's crying. I remember Isaac crying when he saw uh, Sarah, um, Rebecca. Yes, you're right. When Isaac and Rebecca meet, he cries. Yes, he cries because he realizes that he's not no, 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 no. It's when Jacob meets Rachel. It's Jacob and Rachel, he cries, because they're not going to be buried together. Because she's going to be buried, not in the Kemah place, she's going to be buried on the side of the road. I think, I think it's Jacob and Rebecca. Sorry, Jacob and Rachel. I hope I'm not misspeaking here. Jacob and Rachel, Yaakov and Rachel, yeah, the aforementioned Rachel, mother of Joseph and Benjamin, he cries when he sees her. And also Jacob and Esau, when they meet after, when they finally, the twin brothers have a reunion, so there's also tears then as well. There's also crying. But it's, it's few and far between the tears. Joseph, again and again and again, at least three times in this story, Joseph is crying. He cries. He has to take himself to a room. He washes his face. He's crying here. He, he, he's crying. He's an emotional guy. And I need to speak about this because it's such an important idea. When a person 
gets objectively the short end of the stick, when a person is traumatized objectively, this is not subjective, I cho- I, you know, I, I think that something bad happened to me. This is objectively something bad happened to someone else. When somebody, God forbid, turns on someone else or they, they harm them in whatever way, God forbid, it's quite normal and quite to be expected that the person who has been the victim of the abuse will close up. That's, the, that's, the, that's, that's a normal response to trauma. A normal response to abuse is protecting oneself by closing up. Right? A defensive posture, right? We, it's just closing up, not letting people get too close. Right? To keep people away, because I, I, I don't want to get hurt again. I don't want my heart broken again. I don't want uh, anyone to get too close to be able to hurt me again. This is all the mentality of someone who's been victimized, who's been hurt before, to keep people at bay, to put a barrier, to put a buffer zone around and not get too close. To not cry, perhaps. To keep it. Joseph cries again and again and again. Just off the top of my head, it's at least three times that I can remember over the last few weeks that Joseph is crying. And he's not crying about himself. He's not crying and bemoaning his own fate. He's crying when he sees something powerful in his brothers, in, in, in his brothers, in his flesh and blood. When he sees them regretting, when he, when he hears them talking in Hebrew, so he doesn't, so he, they don't know he understands, so that he shouldn't understand. And they hear him, he hears them talking about how they regret selling him 20-something years prior. He cries. When he sees his brother Benjamin, and Benjamin tells him about all his kids that he named after him, he cries. When his brothers So Rabbi, he cries about others to Shuva, but he doesn't cry about his own pain, his own misfortune. He's not crying for himself. He's crying when he hears the brothers regret what they did. He cries when he hears Benjamin's love for him. He didn't forget about him all these years. He cries when he's about to reveal his identity to his brothers. And he's sensitive. He knows how much it might hurt them. And he says, don't be hurt by this. He cries from a place of connection. He feels life. He's been hurt by life. But he didn't shut down. He didn't shut that off. Such a powerful message. Such a powerful message. I mean, I, I don't know that I can, can adequately express just how incredible Joseph is. A guy that caught every, every raw deal. Jealousy of the brothers. Hated by them. Wanted to be, want, wants, they want him dead. Selma is a storm in a pit, someone's a slave, gets framed for a crime he didn't commit, thrown into a dungeon. Yeah, he became successful, but had every break go against him at some point in his life. But he remains open. He remains loving, he remains caring, he remains empathetic, compassionate. He feels, he feels life. He's connected with life. He doesn't shut down, doesn't shut off. I mean, we have a bad day at work and we shut down. Yeah? Someone has a bad day at work, and that's that they're grumpy for the rest of the night. They can't, I don't care. Uh, you had a bad day, I can't listen to it. 
Rabbi. Uh, one bad day at work, and we shut down emotionally. Joseph had the most difficult life experiences you can imagine. I'm not saying no one ever had worse, but very difficult life experiences. His master wanted to be with him, Potiphar, Potiphar's wife. Yeah, we read that before in the last few weeks. Yet every, every, everyone was gunning for him. Remain sensitive. Yeah, right, jump in. Um, it says, seeing that his brothers shrank from him in shame, uh, he called them lovingly and comforted them by saying that their selling him was part of God's plan, that God, not you, he says, uh, sent me here. You need not be distressed. Because the purpose was to put, he says, to put me here to preserve life. Beautiful. And then it says, and now Joseph emphasized that this moment he had surely blamed them for an inhuman betrayal. But now he understood that he'd been a tool um, by Hashem. That's according to uh, Akeda. Akeda. Good. Beautiful. Beautiful. He's taking... But what's the, what's the point? He is making them feel better. He's the one that everybody should, make, should be making feel better, and he's the one that's concerned about how they feel, right? right. How do you feel? You guys wanted to kill me. You saw me as a slave. Yeah, you, 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 you presented, I don't know if you knew all the details, but you told Dad that I was dead all these years. How are you guys feeling? You guys okay? I, that's, he's concerned about them. But, but with, the, with, the, with the emotion, I think it's very powerful. We have a bad day. Somebody says something you know, that we don't like. That's it. That's it. We go to war. We go to battle. We don't care anymore. We can't feel anything anymore. Over what? Over shtuyot. Shtuyot is Hebrew for silly things. Yeah, how do you translate shtuyot? Shtuyot. Silly, meaningless things. Joseph. Uh, nonsense. Nonsense. Shtuyot. Nonsense. Joseph had real, real tsaras, had real problems, remains open. How many of us can say that when, when life uh, turn, turned sour, right, God forbid, that we remained in a place of feeling? And I know what you, you can say that maybe this is, well, after he was successful, after he was viceroy, he was able to, you know, he went to therapy and he was able to work through his stuff. Yeah, you could say that, sure, you could say that. But I choose to believe that Joseph, throughout, and, and you could just see it in his success. The fact that he was successful means that he wasn't keeping things at bay. He had a close relationship with Potiphar. Well, yeah, he had a close relationship with the, with the warden of the prison, put him in charge of everything. You don't, that doesn't happen if... Potiphar was gay. Potiphar was, I don't know. If no, he was, he, was I know, I'm saying he... Swung both the whatever he was, he was open to possibilities. Yeah. Was Potiphar anyway? The point he was also married. He, anyway, the point is that Yosef throughout it all remained open. And 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 I, I, this is, as you know, I've said this at this point ad nauseum that Joseph to me is, I don't know, a hero, a, um, a just a role model, someone to just, for me, for all of us, I think it's, Yosef is like, is the guy. When life is difficult, when life is challenging, what do we do? We shut down, we close off, right? we get angry and bitter and cynical. Yosef tells us, continue to feel. 
and don't give the other person that power. It's God. Give God, give God the benefit of the doubt, and uh, this is God's plan. Questions, comments? About Benjamin. Yes, Benjamin. Do you want me to show this to you? Sure. This is... Uh, oh, Chabad Oh, nice. Okay. Because the other things I found were all going, and I thought you liked it. <laughs> Here, well, yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, you Google yeah. something, you get a lot of results. Yeah. Apparently, also on the Google banner. Um, Jacob's 12th son, blessed by God. He was born, here we go, he was born when his father was 100. Okay, hold on. Hold on. If, his, if he was born when his father was 100, and Jacob comes down in this week's parsha, when he comes down to Egypt, he tells he tells Pharaoh, "Hold on, hold on." One sec. 130 years. We have the answer. We cracked the code. My friends, a little investigative uh, journalism. You ready? Benjamin, sorry. When Benjamin was born, Jacob was 100. You guys with me so far? Yeah. So Jacob the dad is 100 when Benjamin is born. That's why he's referred to as the kid who was born in his old age. 100 is old age. We know this with Abraham. It says Abraham was Zakim Babayam. He was older age, yeah, and that's, so Jacob is 100. And Benjamin is born. And when Jacob comes down now to Egypt, we haven't gotten to that part of the narrative, but in this week's Torah portion, in, in a few readings, we're going to read about how the whole family is invited down to Egypt to join Joseph in the food, right, Jews and food. So Jacob approaches, Jacob, Pharaoh says to Jacob, how old are you? And Jacob says, 130, which means that Benjamin was 30. And, Jake, and Joseph was how old, we said? 39. 39. That means it's a nine-year gap between the two. Longer than, than, than we thought. I thought seven, it's nine. So again, the math is simple. Benjamin, when Benjamin is born, Jacob is 100. Jacob is now 130, which makes J Benjamin 30, and Joseph was 39. Nine-year gap between Joseph and Benjamin. Which means... Sandrine, to address your question about the 10 kids, you mentioned the 10 kids of Benjamin? No, no, Who I mentioned that? to know the difference between Joseph. Nine years. But so, somebody mentioned something about 10 years. Oh, Joy, did you say about that? Yeah, Joy. Yeah, so think about it this way. If Benjamin comes down to Egypt now at 30, because that's when the dialogue is taking place now, finally with Joseph, the two brothers are reunited now at the end of this, of this saga, so he's 30. That means, yeah, he started having kids at what, 18, 19, 20? Sure. No big deal. That's uh, Benjamin had 10 children. Benjamin had 10 sons. And right. um, he had 10 sons. And why didn't you mention the grief that Benjamin's children would experience at their father's absence? Mm. Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Kotsk used this as an example of the truism the parents have more compassion for their children than children have for their parents. Wow. Can I unpack that? I got, we got it. That's a, the Kotzker, yeah. He's a Hasidic rabbi. He was very sharp. This is a sharp one. 
Wow. Okay, let me, let me just repeat what you said because that's powerful. It's beautiful. So, the, and Ray is referring to the first reading that we read today where Judah is advocating for Benjamin's release. He says, you got to let this kid go because his father, his father's going to die if he doesn't. Why didn't he mention Benjamin's kids at home? <laughs> Benjamin has kid, 10 kids at home. Why does he say, you got to let Benjamin home? you got to let Benjamin go. He's got 10 kids at home. Right. Yeah? Because a parent, that's what they say, parent has more compassion on a child than the child on the parent. That's right. That's what the Kutzker says. So it, Benjamin's loss would have been felt more by his father than his kids. Than his yeah. kids. That's the Nakuda. It says in the Talmud this. That a person should not give away all their money during their lifetime so that they don't have money to live on when they get older. And the Talmud says, but if they have children, what's the problem? The Talmud answers, one father will support ten children, but ten children won't even support one father. That's Rabbi, what the Talmud says. Rabbi. It's the same. It's the same same point that Ray said, right? A father will whatever it takes support the kids, but the kids. Rabbi, it's we're very four facing, yeah. But Judah was willing to give up his life in order for the emotional well-being of his father. That's true. That's true. You're right. So I, w I was actually about to say there are exceptions to every rule. And it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's one of these things, it's a line, it's a perspective, you know, it's not 100% it's not you know, firm and solid. Obviously, there are parents that are not so compassionate. Commandment, honor your mother and father. Correct. That's why you need a mitzvah. You don't have a mitzvah, honor your kid. You don't need a mitzvah. You only need a mitzvah because you, it, it might be a challenge. You don't, no one ever, there's no biblical commandment, um, take care of your child. Take care of your child. It's, it's obvious. It's going to, I mean... Again, your mileage may vary, but hopefully it's obvious. But the other way, you need a special mitzvah. The other way, you need a special and, mitzvah. And you're supposed to, you're not supposed to bury your children. Right. We're expected to bury our parents. Right. 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 You're saying that if Benjamin doesn't make it, Benjamin's kids, yeah. But Jacob losing a child, another child, yeah. Yeah. Powerful, powerful stuff. Thank you all for, for sure being part of this conversation. Very powerful. My takeaway, I don't know, you know me, I'm obsessed with, with Yosef. This, this idea of him being just sensitive and, and open-hearted after all he went through. Trauma and abuse and suffering and misfortune and, and just everything, everything, and still a guy who's emotionally available, a guy who's spirit, spiritual, a guy who's not blaming, pointing fingers, but on the contrary, you know, making the ones who are to blame feel better about themselves. But Rabbi, when, when Joseph was in the difficult situation, like when he was in the, yeah. the hole, I mean, how do we know? How do we know? Right. How do we know what he was feeling? Yeah. No, not, no, I'm not asking that. I'm asking, I mean, he's still physically suffering. 
Right. So he has to be suffering. Right. Mentally, so I'm just saying how does, it's just difficult to, I, I, I don't, I'm with you, I'm with you, but I, I, I don't know that he's, that he physically suffers for that long. I don't want to minimize, but, but um, the Torah told us that almost immediately he finds favor in the warden's eyes and the warden put him in charge of the other prisoners, which means that he's now the guy who's in charge of the other guys. So they were just transitional periods. He's probably not being beat up every day if he's the guy that is in charge of the other guys. He, he has this way of just rising up in every, in every moment. And, and what I'm saying is, I know Ray mentioned a little bit of a different thing, that he originally was bitter and then he, he came to like let go of the bitterness. I don't think if he's bitter that he ever becomes the warden's right-hand man. I don't think if he's bitter he becomes Potipar's right-hand man. I just don't think, I just don't see it happening. Even though they were free, his brothers weren't going through the trauma that he was, but they were bitter, so the brothers. Yeah. So they had it, in a sense, worse. He, he, is, he is so okay with where he's at that he's not making it about him in this moment. It's not about me. You know, when, it's a, when, when you're not okay, not you specifically, but when, when, when one is not okay about a situation, then one makes it about them, right? It's like, I'm not okay and this is why I need everybody, everybody should know about it. Yosef was so okay with, the, with himself that he's like, he has the emotional wavelength to care about someone else, his brothers. When he reveals himself to his brothers, his concern is not, so what do you guys say now? Where's your apology? How, what were you thinking? That's not... That means he's still needy. He's not needy. He doesn't need anything. He's so okay with where he is that he can be available to be supportive to them going through this shock of finding out that the brother's still alive. This is, this is why Yosef, repeating myself, there's no, to me, there's no other character like him. It's, it's, not, it's not even real and powerful and a role model and just real life issues. You want to learn how to teach monotheism to the world, you got Abraham. You want to learn how to save the animals, you get Noah. You want to learn how to deal with life's challenges, Yosef. Yosef at Tzadik. No matter what, he's at Tzadik. Anyway, all right. I haven't like given much room for anyone to think, like, I actually have a different biblical hero. I'm like, I'm so, I'm so overbearing i'm sorry i apologize with this but like i don't i just like this story is just unbelievable it's unbelievable is it possible for us to be like this not a hundred percent but can we i mean maybe a hundred percent i don't want to like take away anything from anybody but can we aspire to some to some element of this i think so can we aspire to Being able to see Hashem's hand in everything that happens, to give less power to human beings, to give more power to Hashem, to be open even when others close the doors on us, to not let our challenges get in the way of our relationships. I could go on, but let's start with this. I think I was asking a rhetorical question. Is that possible? Yes. Yeah. Joseph's children. Right? His sons, yeah, Ephraim and Manasseh. So, for some reason, 
for parents' prayers, yeah, blessing, they don't refer to anyone else but just Ephraim and Manasseh, which traces back to yeah, Joseph. Joseph yeah. Mark is pointing out in the traditional blessing of a son that parents do till this day. You say, You say, May you be like Ephraim and Manasseh. Not like Reuben and Shimon or Shimon and Levi or Levi and Judah or Moses or Aaron or anybody else. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Ephraim and Manasseh. The Re the, there's an interesting take on that. The Rebbe says because they were the first kids born. Nash, you know. Other kids were born in Haram. But they were born in Egypt. And they still were strong. So it's good like for kids like made in America. It's like... Uh, <laughs> Americanische chocolate, they used to say, like the chocolate uh, American, you know, like chocolate-loving American children. It's it's good. You, could, you we can be here and be born here and still be like a and Menashe. But yeah, it goes back to Yosef. The idea of that type of role modeling is is just incredible. We live in a society. I'm just going to say this. I'm just going to keep it very very brief because it's. I, I, we live in a society, and, and uh, I obviously hesitate to say this, but where the disempowerment feels like it's the more popular movement than empowerment. It feels like it's more popular to want to be a victim, to want to be, right, as opposed to being strong. Are you with me on this, what I'm saying? No? Treading in dangerous territory? All right, all right. No, I'm just saying. In being a victim. Okay, I understand that. I'm just saying, like, the role model of, of Yosef is not to blame, not to, harbor, not to harbor anger, not to harbor resentment, right? I mean, that's an incredible role model. And, and it's an incredible model of, 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 of behavior. And I think, to me, it feels like the healthiest. It feels the healthiest. I'm not judging any one or any situation because th th this no, there's no, the Torah never tells us to judge anyone else. These are messages for, for ourselves. So this message is for me to, to, to integrate or to try to integrate. How can I be stronger, more resilient, with more grit and more determination and more openness and empathy and compassion even to those who wish to sometimes hurt me or sometimes hurt me? That's, this, is my, this is my work. This is my inner work. This is not a judgment about anyone else. But I feel like this message is, is one that's sorely needed every time, uh, I, especially I, today as an age. I agree with what you say because now there's a trend, you know, an establishment trend to place every single person in the United States in one of two camps, either oppressor or oppressed. Right. And I think, and I think that if we were to take the, the Torah model, if we take a press, presser and a pressed out of it, what would, what would the dynamic be? It would be blessed by God or guided by God, right? What does Yosef say? You didn't sell me as a slave. They did sell, they literally sold him as a slave. But he says, I, don't, I, I choose not to look at it like that. I choose to look at it as God has sent me to this place. What different. can I learn and go, move forward from this lesson. What, right. How can this lesson help me right. not find some blame for someone else somewhere? Right, right. And obviously we have to be careful because sometimes there is, I mean, when I say there is blame, I, 
there, justice has to happen when justice needs to happen. There are obviously the other pieces still remain. And this is not a judgment of, against for anyone else. This is just a personal empowerment conversation. How can I be the strongest? It's when I don't identify in a weakness, in a victim state, but I, 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 when I identify personally in a place of strength and empowerment, especially divine empowerment. So that's the strongest that I can be, and that's really the message here. All right, I didn't realize how late it was. My apologies for going really late. Um, one, one thing on that note. Yeah. It says that Benjamin was originally uh, named Ben Oni. Ben Oni. By, by Rachel. The son of my, son of my suffering, 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 sorrow, yeah. Struggles, yeah. Uh, but, but it says Jacob slightly changed it to Ben Yamin, right. which means son of the right, reflecting triumph and perseverance. Oh, since there a you person's go. power is concentrated on their right side. Mark is pointing out that Benjamin had, had, a, had a similar thing. His mother, when she was dying in childbirth, named him Benoni, the son of my suffering. And the father said Benjamin, the son of my strength, to flip. The, the, the weakness into a strength. And it begins with a choice. It really begins with a choice. Ray, final word. No, I, I just need to leave if you don't. Oh, oh yeah, oh, sorry. <laughs> that's, the, that's a good final word, because I think we all got to go. All right, great to see you all. A quick note, RCS is not happening tonight. We had to push it off, scheduling conflicts. Push it off for two weeks, actually, because uh, we have a bunch of stuff coming up. Stay tuned for the most unbelievable announcement. Not the most unbelievable, but a very awesome announcement. December 25th, Saturday night. You guys get breaking news. December 25th is on a Saturday. Saturday night, yeah. Uh, Arab, uh, so it's December 25th at night, we're going to be having an all-you-can-eat, lavish Chinese dinner and a movie right here as is the tradition. So stay tuned for more information. And of course, there's other good stuff. Oh, especially Thursday night. Bound to Inspire, our book event. Don't miss it, it's gonna be fabulous. Food, multimedia presentation, and books available for perusing and purchase. You don't wanna miss this on the day dedicated chance? to Jewish books. Can you books. try to locate my email I sent you last week? I will locate it, yes. Okay. Thanks for reminding me, I will locate it, yes. All right. We'll see you I'm all. I'm giving a new email now, Judaica. Okay. I'm away from Omiyata. I'm going to, I will find it and I will reply soon. All right. Okay. We'll see you all. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Bye, Sarah. Bye, Joy. Bye, Donna. Bye, Ray. Bye.